Hello friends, Corey here. I promised you I would put together the audio from our panel at Star Wars Celebration. Right. So without further ado, here it is. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Star Wars Celebration Fan Stage. I'm your host for the Fan Stage, Dan Zare. We have an amazing panel for you. Does anybody here like books and comics? That's you're in the right place. We have for you Exploring the Universe, the Books and Comics of Star Wars. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you guys for coming. Hopefully we have a fun little panel for you guys today to talk about uh, books and comics of Star Wars. Let's uh, dive into it. In, uh, in 2008, as soon as we can get those slides up there, in 2008, about 14 years ago, my mom dropped me off at a Barnes & Noble. Um, she went to do some shopping at some other store, and she just kind of left me there. And uh, <laughs> I, uh, I remember visiting sections of the store that I was, you know, into at the time, like mystery and sci-fi and young adult. I read a lot of war books <laughs> at a young age. And uh, I stumbled on this section in the store, these giant green letters above the uh, shelves, Star Wars, right? And... Uh, I never knew, I think at the time, like how much running into that would change the trajectory of, of my life, really. Um, you know, I'm a bit fuzzy on the details, but I imagine that I picked up several different books. You know, how do you pick up books as a kid? I was looking at the covers, and uh, I don't know what books I picked up, but I do remember why I picked up the first book that I ever read, which was this one, um, Invincible by Troy Dinning. And uh, I, I don't know what other books I consider, but I can tell you why I picked that one. It's because uh, it's got this badass Jedi chick on the front. <laughs> and I was a 14-year-old boy, and, uh, you know, I picked this one, right? And, um, you know, I remember reading, flipping through the pages as a kid and coming across names in the book, like Anakin Solo and Luke has got a wife, and what is happening? Like, it's insane. Like, you know, just the storytelling at the time. And uh, it, was, it was very confusing to me, like what was happening, but I knew I really wanted to dive into more. Uh, it wasn't until much later that I realized that, that was the ninth book in a nine-book series. <laughs> and uh, that's really what kicked off my journey into the Star Wars universe, um, you know, and uh, it's just as obvious as it is now that simply choosing what books to read, especially for new readers, is equally challenging and really confusing. Um, when, I first read it, when I first started reading in about 2008, there was about 150 adult novels, and now that number is well over 300. Um, you know, if you count the comics and young adult books, I mean, we're probably into the thousands, honestly. I mean, it's just really a ton and ton of books. And that's really where the idea for Utini was born. Um, you know, new readers needed a guide to show them the ways of the Force, just like Anakin needed Obi-Wan, like Luke needed Yoda. And uh, Utini spent the last five years, like, trying to break down those barriers and help people get into the books and comics. And it's really the honor of my life to participate in this community um, and help readers discover this incredible literary universe that we all escape to. Um, and I'm proud to be here on the stage with the hope that we can even teach everybody how to find a small bit of the joy that I get from doing this. Um, and uh, I'm really happy to introduce my fellow panelists. I'm Dr. Corey Helton, founder of Utini. And joining me today are several of my closest friends and compatriots in this grand crusade. Uh, starting with Mr. Eric Iverson. How you doing, man? Word Star Wars celebration. Yeah. This yeah. isn't wild. I haven't slept in three days. And I couldn't be happier. Yeah, for sure. We also have uh, Emma Park. Um, this is she's our lead content manager, co-host of uh, the Cosmic Force. This is our Star Wars comics podcast. How are you doing? Doing good. This is um, the coolest thing I've done in my life, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have Freddie Contreras. He is uh, one of our content creators and co-host of uh, Legends Look Pack, our Star Wars Legends podcast that we do every week. How are you doing, man? How are you doing, Chewbacca? 
yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, well, Eric, we turn it over to you, and let's uh, take this thing home, man. Yeah, man. Uh, I, I have probably heard that story 84 times since we started this company, and I love it. I have no idea how reading the final book in a series created a company for getting people into books, but I'm so glad they did. As Corey said, uh, my name's Eric. I am, I'm president of Utini, and I couldn't be more excited to talk about one of my favorite things in the world, which is Star Wars books and comics. This panel, we are going to take you through the history of Star Wars publishing and offer a glimpse at where to start reading if you want to either get into the books for the first time or if you have a friend that just won't read Star Wars books, we're going to try to help you make this a little less freaky for them. Um, but we're going to start looking back at the beginning, right? We've been getting Star Wars books for decades, and we're going to dive into Legends for a little bit in those incredibly early years in the 90s and the 2000s. But before that, we got a little weirder. So let's go even back further to the first content ever in Star Wars literature. Uh, this is the time where the EU, as we, as we knew it, or canon legends, was not even a thought. So Freddie, as the co-host of our Legends podcast, you're easily the most well-read Legends reader up on this panel. So tell us about those early days. What were some of the first Star Wars books ever written, and what were they like? Yeah, so some of the early books were the movie novelizations by Alan Dean Foster. Uh, and those books were released, uh, some of those books were released before the movies re uh, were even released out in the theater. So there's a lot of unfinished facts uh, happening in some of those, like Blue Yoda, for instance. Uh, and then uh, even uh, Dagobah Cave, Darth Vader had a blue lightsaber. So... Some unfinished things there, and uh, that was released, I want to say, uh, in November, so definitely way before uh, at least the first one was released in November. Uh, and then, of course, you move on to the first EU book, which is uh, our favorite, uh, <laughs> Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Nothing which... problematic, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Splinter of the Mind's Eye was kind of like a uh, low-budget version of what episode, episode 5 could be. Uh, you had a lot of really freaky Leia and Luke romance going on, which is a little cringy now. <laughs> um, also, you had a lot of fog, which made the possibility of, of this movie to be a little bit cheaper. Uh, and of course, uh, you had some, some books that kept the fandom going, like the Brian Daly Han Solo adventures and the Lando Calrissian stuff. So, exactly. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Yeah. And, this, and these books really pushed fandom further, right? It, it kept those who loved Star Wars just more obsessed. And the titles were better. I'm just saying, like, those Lando titles, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. come on, I need more Star Caves of Thumbaka in my life. They're very serially, right? Like, yeah. Han Solo and something. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I loved all those things. And then, of course, not only the books, but you had things like game guides, right? Like, from West Oh, yeah, End. exactly. You had the West End uh, RPG, or, yeah, the role-playing guide. Uh, thanks for that. that yeah. So that book was, was the what would you call it? like the epicenter of, you know, I have a, a note does not say suppository, repository oh, yeah. of knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a note not to say that, so you just went with it. Yeah. Just went with it. Cool. Uh, and that's where a lot of the content from uh, the, the later books in the Golden Age, we'll call it, uh, that's where they grabbed a lot of their, their yeah. characters and other content. So it, it really did fill in, uh, you know, for fans, it really filled in some parts of the universe we wanted to know about. Yeah. And you, and you still, hey guys. Uh, and you still see folks nowadays, like authors, if you follow any of the modern-day authors on Twitter, they will post these pages from West End about, I took this character from page yeah. 176 of my original edition, and it's so cool to see those guys come around. Totally. But of course, we had some of these books, but there wasn't nearly the volume of books we get nowadays. Uh, we are very spoiled 
in the modern day Star Wars releases, but we did have a lot of comics. Again, very normal, nothing strange. Um, but, but Emma, uh, you do, as we said, co-host our comics podcast over at Utini. What can you tell us about those original Marvel years of comics? Yeah, easily the main takeaway from these comics is that they were wild. <laughs> like, I mean, there was some crazy stuff in there. Um, one of them, my co-host Tyler, he's in the room, uh, he told me about uh, this part from the 77 run that he read. Um, there was this swamp thing-like creature, and uh, Leia was trying to battle him, but there was, like, not a lot of blasters, so she took out this, like, portable, like, density machine and changed his density so he like went through the core of a planet and that's how she like killed him star wars baby i know that's i think of that when i think of star wars i don't know about you but yeah yeah so definitely you know really crazy and obviously we didn't have like you know all the star wars that we have now so we had no idea what star wars looked like then which is why we got things like green bunnies jackson the rabbit absolutely most important thing to come out of the 70s in star wars i think easily i think so i would yeah. think so kevin guys, scott would agree you guys seen that guy walking around like in jackson yeah. there There's are multiple really jacksons yeah it's really fantastic in 2022 cosplay. yeah it's perfect uh so of course we got all those wacky times and we love those those got so many people like we mentioned kevin scott they mentioned those old serial comics got them into star wars for the first time imagine meeting jackson before you meet han um what a time but that went on through the 70s and the 80s, but then everything, as, as some of us in this room may know, shifted in 1991, because I was born. <laughs> and also, Heir to the Empire came out. So, Corey, tell us, yeah, Heir to the Empire. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, I mean, Heir to the Empire by Timothy Zahn largely kicked off what we now know is the expanded universe of Star Wars. I mean, the guy is pretty much the creator of Star Wars in a lot of ways, Star Wars books. And, you know, I mean, he really does deserve the credit because the book was a, a huge success. You know, it was leading up to The Phantom Menace had been announced, you know, and uh, it sat there for weeks and weeks and weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Um, you know, it was episode seven for a lot of people, I think, until... Um, you know, we got more books and stuff like that, right? So, and, um, you know, he did a lot of really interesting stuff in Heir to the Empire, too. He created the planet Coruscant. You know, Timothy Zahn created that planet, which was later brought on screen and is now, like, it's hard to believe, right? That, like, you know, this is a time where there were no, there wasn't extra content. And this guy, an author, a sci-fi author, super nerdy sci-fi author at the time. I mean, his classic, you know black turtleneck sweater he's always wearing, you know. I mean, he invented this planet, and, like, Coruscant is in our language as if it's just part of the universe now. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's really... He really did open the, uh, open the door to the idea that books and comics could expand on the films in a really meaningful way. And, uh, I mean, we really owe it to him, I think, in a lot of ways, because if this, you know, if we... W there was bound to be something really successful, I think, at some point, but Timothy Zahn wrote an incredible trilogy and really kicked off the universe in a way that, like... We have hundreds of books now, too, and the guy is largely the, the reason for that, which is really cool. Yeah, absolutely opened the door and opened the robe of Joris Sabayoff on that cover. My goodness! <laughs> Look at those abs. Yeah, there is a t-shirt of that cover I know our buddy Jared owns, um, and it is available somewhere. So put, so put those abs on your, on your chest. <laughs> Aside from that beautiful cover, and of course that amazing story, obviously, changed everything. It kicked off the entire new age of Star Wars. Like Freddie mentioned earlier, this golden age. It was filled yeah. with incredible stories. They started to link together. And, and Freddie, what was it that made this time period, post-91, so rich, and what really drew in readers that had never picked up a Star Wars book before? Trusabkura, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> 
Dinosaurs. So, so by the 90s, I would say the Star Wars fans that were there were pretty much already obsessed, right? So during the, this era, it was the golden era of, of the books, but it was also the dark ages of Star Wars, right? You had uh, George Lucas doing commercials for like Kodak or something or Sony. Uh, not, not much content out there. But uh, at this time, George Lucas also gave free reign to authors to create their stories, create their world, uh, with some restrictions, right? We don't want uh, an Obi-Wan or an Obi-Wan in, uh, in uh, a clone, right? That was, we can't do that. No. So people like Zahn created these worlds, and that's really what happened during this golden age was world building. We had Coruscant, like we just mentioned, uh, but we also had, like, a, a, I would say a lot of multi-content campaigns, like uh, Shadows of the Empire, for instance. You had an N64 uh, you had uh, comic books, you had books, or yeah, just books themselves. And that, audio, and, and, like the original audio production of the... Yeah, the record. The, yeah, yeah there you crazy. go. Have you uh, ever seen that? Like there's like an original audio album that they invented to go along with the release of a video totally. game that was tied into the comics. And yep. New music. Insane. I mean, all this multi-High yeah. Republic type stuff. Uh, totally. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what was going on, right? We also had Rogue Squadron, which had a series of books and, and video games on the N64 and, and PC. Uh, and of course, uh, those were catered to, you know, 12-year-olds is, is what it was. You've got a lot of video games. But there was a, a different vibe at that time, right? A lot of people wanted to see what was going on in the Star Wars universe. What, what else besides Luke, Leia, Han Solo, Force Powers? Well, we've got pilots. We've got Rogue Squadron. Let's talk about that. And uh, it, it really brought in, I would say, a lot of good fandom uh, into, into everything, right? It, it was a dark age for everybody, but... For those who were reading the books, it was, there was a lot of fresh content. Yeah, and it, and it taught a lot of those readers, especially, like you say, those like, younger readers that were just starting to get into Star Wars, what the characters could be, uh, what the possibilities of the world were. Like, can there be a rhino on a planet that shakes until people that are making spice drugs just have the time of their lives? That's the Crispin trilogy, by the way. Or, or <laughs> you could have uh, uh, space lizards uh, taking your soul and putting it into a droid. Yeah. You know, the normal Star Wars things. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it, it, was, it was a special time of, like you said, unbridled creativity. Yeah. And it was a time when readers were really grasping onto it, and those books were just flying off the shelves. But, of course, not only the books were revitalized on this time, the comics also had a huge shift, uh, both in tonality and even in company. So, Emma, what happened in comics in the 90s? Yeah, comics in this era started to really make a difference on the entire Star Wars universe. Up until this point... They were just kind of almost their own thing. They didn't connect to much. Uh, but starting with the, the Dark Horse acquisition um, around the time of Heir to the Empire, that's when they started connecting to video games and to other books and really started to tie everything together like we see pretty much on a consistent basis today. Uh, examples of this are with uh, Dark Empire. Uh, that is um, a very like classic comic when you think of Dark Horse comics. Say it. Say it. Palpatine is naked. Palpatine is naked. <laughs> <laughs> and slimy. <laughs> and uh, the other one that, that you also think of is uh, the KOTOR comics, which ties into yeah. the books and the video games. Uh, and yeah, it just really started to have an impact on other storytelling uh, once, we, uh, once it got acquired by Dark Horse. Yeah, they, I mean, I, I'm sure so many people in this room bought those comics as they were coming out and have them and, and you can buy them on the show floor. Uh, they're still all around. And they were all hugely popular for two solid decades. We had all these stories coming out. The 
throughout the birth of the prequel era, we all got to meet Qui-Gon Jinn and Mace Windu and have these new movies. And, and a lot of us that are maybe more of like our generation on this panel got to meet our new heroes in like kind of the best time period possible. But then everything shifted in a way that was not controversial and no one got mad. It was perfect and I was very proud of everyone. <laughs> in 2012, uh, Disney uh, did purchase Star Wars and absolutely kind of rocked the idea about continuity. Um, it became a huge conversation. And Corey, tell us kind of what it was like just being a reader during that period. Because as you said, you started off with Invincible at a young age. You were reading Legends at this point. Not as many as Freddy had necessarily. But you were definitely enmeshed in the story of the solo children, of yeah. all those things. So what was it like being a reader then? And then let's just say, basically, uh, for whoever's in here, what is the difference between what we're now going to be calling canon and Legends? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was certainly a wild time to be a Star Wars fan. I mean, I think at this point I had read roughly 80 to 90% of all the books that had been published at that point. And uh, I was like a freshman in college or something like that when they announced all this. And I remember they, you know, Disney purchased Star Wars. We're like, oh, we knew this would mean, um, you know, we knew this would mean movies. You know, I was a, still a kid, right? So I'm like, oh, yeah, they're just going to tell the stories in the books, right? That's what they're going to do. <laughs> that makes perfect sense, right? It's already written. Makes yeah, sense. It's, it's already written. Yeah, right. So, you know, they... But then they they had this hugely I don't know controversial decision maybe I guess at the time uh, to to say you know we're gonna clean slate the Star Wars books and we're like what does that mean uh, so then they branded everything that had been published up to that at, up to that point as legends as Star Wars legends right and. Um, you know, that was, uh, that was, I think, a little bit heartbreaking at the time for a lot of fans. I mean, I think everybody felt, you know, Heir to the Empire was episode seven for a lot of people. So I think at the time, it seemed like that was a really scary, I think a lot of us thought it was a bad decision to do that. Um, and uh, then everything kind of changed because they started releasing books. So let's talk about that really fast. I mean, canon and legends, is, there's a clear separation in the Star Wars books, right? Canon is everything since the Disney acquisition. Um, in about 2014 is when books were being published. Um, they continued, even though Disney bought Star Wars, they continued to publish books for a couple years under the Legends banner, even though that hadn't really quite been figured out, because they were already in production, right? So they shipped them out, but they ended up being um, Legends books. So now everything prior to the Disney acquisition has got this nice Legends banner on it. So if you buy a modern book nowadays, and you don't know if it falls in the canon of Legends, and you're buying it from a big box bookstore, it's got this lovely banner across the top. And, you know, I think um, I think as as books were were being published and we started to get a lot of those really early, early books, I think a lot of fans' attitudes started to shift a little bit, that maybe this isn't such a bad idea, that, like, maybe it's not necessarily a destruction of everything that we love, but maybe it really is a unique opportunity to tell really interesting, beautiful stories that are truly in line with the films. I mean, I think that would have been very challenging for a lot of fans at the time if they had said, yeah, we're not going to change anything, we're just going to keep publishing Star Wars books, and hey, here's Rey, and there's, there are no solo children, there are no, there is no Mara Jade, like, a lot of these characters that we knew and love, like, that doesn't fit into the, into the modern storytelling, so I, you know, I think, um, I think a lot of fans, us especially at Utini, have really totally shifted on the idea that it was a bad decision to do the legends, you know, change, and I think it I think it creates a really unique opportunity for storytelling now. Yeah, and, and I think one of the great things about that rebrand too is that it does, hopefully as we're going to say a little later, make it easier for new readers because as you said at Utini, we, we like the decision, but we also love Legends. I mean, Freddie talks about it every week on Thursday <laughs> nights. And, uh, you know, there's such a great opportunity for this multi-universal approach uh, that I think helps a lot of new readers. And, you know, Emma, you, you had been a person that hadn't read many Legends when this whole thing happened. 
so you kind of dove right into Canon when you started your reading journey. So I know a lot of, a lot of new readers nowadays are probably doing that same path. Um, or a lot of us in this room, if you have friends, that might be the most accessible way to do it. Right. So for you, what was it like diving into straight Canon books as a new reader? And why was this opportunity to start fresh a little, I guess, more helpful for you? Yeah, well, first of all, Legends continuity is extremely confusing, uh, which is the main reason why a lot of people just don't get into Legends uh, in these days. And the reason I got into canon books is because it was very straightforward to figure it out. They were either about a certain character or a certain place in time. You could easily figure out where they took place. Um, and, and changing it from uh, Legends to canon uh, actually created like this great opportunity to uh, create new and different stories that do things a little differently, and some might say a little bit better, add a little bit more uh, inclusion and diversity. And um, because a, a lot of the times, uh, there's a, a group, a main group of, of Legends authors, and they tended to be the same people because there was a lot of series in Legends. Yeah. And nowadays, I mean, we have so many authors I can't even count. And it's, it's quite refreshing to be able to get all sorts of different perspectives on it. So it really helped uh, with representation as well. Absolutely. Yeah, guys like us have never had a problem getting into Star Wars books. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to, to absolutely expand that roster. And even though that canon is, is going in this wonderful new direction, a lot of readers are now hesitant to go back and read Legends, not only because there's a new canon book uh, coming out. I think one probably got released since we've been on this panel um, at this point. But, but it is tough because mentally you know it's kind of a, a solid, finished project, right? And some readers might be hesitant about it, but Freddie... As someone who regularly goes back and reads Legends books, even ones you've read or even new ones to you, why do readers actually want to revisit Legends still, and, and why are those stories actually still very important? So I've been thinking about this all convention. It's a, it's a crisis I deal with on a daily basis. Why is Legends still important? Uh, oh my goodness, I it now. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, the reason why is it's important is because, and you know, I think the, the thing that Marvel did really well was that multiverse, right? Was giving people the, the idea of, hey, everything can happen in different types of realities. And that's what I think of Legends. Legends is the George Lucas universe, right? This, that's his universe of Star Wars. I'm not saying he wrote any of those books, but... Uh, Wait, Lu Lucas married now? I don't, <laughs> I don't think that makes sense to me. But it's his idea, right? And so it's an important, important part of history to... <laughs> to uh, <laughs> that was a good one to look at, at that part of, of the Star Wars universe, what could have been, what may have been, and, and think of it as that multiverse aspect of, you know, this can still exist in a different time and place, uh, and canon can exist in a different time and place. Uh, and just some proof that I had, I would say, I heard tomorrow, or yesterday, tomorrow, I'm in the future. Uh, <laughs> Legends, <heard> baby. <laughs> yeah, I heard yesterday uh, that, that uh, who was it? It was Deborah Chow and Ewan McGregor, uh, before they started filming, they read John Jackson Miller's Kenobi, and actually shouted him out on, on a, an interview, I believe. Mm -hmm. So the fact that they're going back to read this for, for insight of what is Kenobi thinking around this time, it, it's very important. And it's not just that, but the fact that, that we've got these essential Legends collections, you know, these are the heavy hitters of, of the Legends era. And uh, I think instead of going in with, you know, this is a, an old thing, doesn't matter anymore, we should go in it with, uh, this is the George universe, right? This is, it's an important thing in the Star Wars history. If, if you care about it. If not, you know, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I don't think it's an accident that in, in these rebranded novels, and if, if you all haven't read these yet, you know, Disney is actually, they're republishing them as brand new books with brand new cover art. They're commissioning new artists for these Legends titles. 
and I don't think it's an accident that they use the word essential, yeah, right? It's not really beginning legends books. It's not best. It is essential legends. Like there are people at the top that are publishing these books that are also publishing canon right now that are agreeing these are still essential stories. There are amazing stories about amazing characters <laughs> and all these new artworks. I, every time I, I see these and we talk about them, I'm still just blown away by the level of art yeah. and how uh, I really like uh, the Bane covers now, which maybe <laughs> I didn't always. Um, but it, and, it's, and Eric, it's, it's one important fact to, uh, to point out that these books are actually supporting the authors again, right? We're not yes. buying these secondhand. We're John Jackson Miller. We're giving him uh, some more support for, you know, and possibly right. he, we might see him again in, in some future novels. So. Yeah, 100%. I mean, if we know anything, pu publishing is like any other industry, right? I mean, whatever books sell, they tend to write more. And, and it's so great that these authors that wrote these stories that affected so much of us when we were younger get to make money off of that again. Yeah. Um, but of course, if you find a bannerless cover in a used bookstore, you pick it up. But now, back to our canon discussion here. C canon, as you were saying, Emma, has certainly evolved a lot since it first kicked off. We had these initial stories and then the roster evolved, the characters evolved, the type of stories evolved. Because in the early days of canon, a lot of the books were very character-centric. Um, they said, hey, have you seen this movie? You like this character? Put him on a cover. You like this TV show? Put him on this cover. So, Corey, what can you tell us about that particular type of storytelling that focused on characters, and where have we gone since then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think those uh, those early books were were very character centric, um, and I think that is largely because that was it was easy to kind of do that in the new branded canon storytelling of like this is this is going to fit into the movies, right? So it's easy to say, hey, here's this really interesting character that you know and love. They went off and did this really cool adventure and it doesn't really interfere with anything because I think those those early days of canon were relatively experimental. When I say early days of canon, I mean after everything that was already planned to be published and you know before the legends change over um, all, after all that stuff was already done, right? So like A New Dawn is the Rebels book, right? Like it, uh, it was already planned to come out, right? And it, it would have, it's like barely missed the cutoff of being Legends or Canon, right? So they decided to make it a Canon book. Um, and then everything new from that point was very character-centric. And we got some really great stories in, during that time period with Ahsoka and Rebel Rising. Um, you know, but it was still a very, I, I keep saying experimental time period because it, there weren't really big risk taking, I think, like they, it's all a bit nebulous to us too, exactly, like how does Star, how do Star Wars books come about, right? Obviously this High Republic initiative has been very interesting where we have all these authors that get together at Skywalker Ranch and plan this giant Marvel Centric. What's the meme with the guy and the aliens and there's all the things on the boards, right? Like that's what happened at the Ed Skywalker Ranch, right? But that was that is Daniel Jose Older that does that. I believe. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, so you know, but in the early times, we we didn't really have a lot of that huge planning. Like the books were cool and fun and and but maybe not like as an important for the Skywalker saga, right? We didn't change dramatic things with characters during those early times, um, but they did draw on like kind of existing content during that time. Yeah, and, uh, and I think one of the great things about this era is if you're a, a reader that's just getting into them, going back to these is so great because it's not like so many things have affected them. Like you said, Corey, since then, you can still pick up a book like Rebel Rising, which is absolutely one of the hidden gems, I believe, of canon. Not so hidden yeah, anymore. Absolutely. Yeah, Rebel Rising. That's very good. Wonderful book. Um, that actually the author, Beth uh, Revis, is writing The Princess and the Scoundrel later this year, getting her second canon novel. Can't wait. Um, but they weren't afraid to draw on that existing content, like you said, and they even drew some stuff from Legends. 
in one very specific area. So, Freddie, I think we've gone way too long without mentioning this guy. Let's talk about Thrawn. Let's jump into him. Um, the Grand Admiral himself, Mithronadingdong. Um, <laughs> Freddie, so what has it been like for you? Uh, I know you've had multiple Legends crises a day, as you said. Uh, but what has Maybe. it been like to witness a Legends character like Thrawn being, being thrown into the spotlight in every kind of media there is now? He is in books, comics, uh, animated television, totally not announced, maybe live action at some point. Um, he's, he's Star Wars now. So what has that been like to see the guy that came in 91 kind of redefine this whole yeah. decade? I think the one word that you can describe it as is it's validating, right? Mm, it, yeah. It's kind of like, why is yeah. Legends important? It's validating. It's validating to see these characters, which when you read these books, these are great characters. There's nothing wrong with them, and, and they suck you in. And what I really do like about Disney bringing in someone like Thrawn is that Timothy Zahn has had, what, how many years to, to mull over uh, uh, Thrawn, right? How to make him just a little bit more perfect. And after I read Thrawn, I have to say, man, they did my boy blue good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I very much appreciate that, that they do go back and say these are important things that need to come back into the Star Wars universe. These are important characters that, that matter still. And it's, it's the same word. It's just really validating to know that one, Disney knows that th this is a fact, yeah. and let's bring him back, let's make him a thing, sure. and, and uh, my co-host Jared over there, every time we see a Legends character brought back into canon, we just celebrate that. It's just, okay, one more tie into the, to the Legends yeah. universe, so right, but it, hoping for some Dash Renda. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not, it's not validating in this sort of like, in this sort of like, it's Legends versus Canon battle kind of way. Yeah. It's validating in a way that you know a lot of fans, even still to this day, have this sensation that it was always oh, a mistake to get rid of Legends. It's all awful and Disney sucks and blah 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 and right and like it's validating in a way that we have always known that the stories and Legends were valuable and have been the source material for new content. I mean, the Solo film was heavily, heavily referenced the AC Crispin series. Anybody who's read that like knows that, right? Make so, Solo two happen, please. Yeah, absolutely. So it's like. You know, it's it's nice as it's it's still hurtful to me as as a as a hardcore book fan to see in the modern age that oh they didn't even read the books they didn't read the source material I'm like yeah they did I mean <laughs> a lot of them did and yeah. those stories are still hugely important and the longer we go the more valuable those stories will get because the the I heard Trevor our timeline guy on our team like tell somebody at the booth that we have out on the fan floor yesterday that. The longer that we go, the lines between canon and legends will become more and more blurred, and they will become more and more the same because of those stories. They all heavily influence each other, and we keep pulling authors from legends and bringing in folks like the OG Tim Zahn to do canon content. I mean, like, it's just going to get even better, and he's not the only one. We've brought in lots of authors mm -hmm. from this time period, James Luceno and tons and tons of authors from that time period. So Yeah, yeah, I mean... Having Tim Zahn bring Thrawn in, I also think, like you guys are saying, it was such an important task. You know, change the vibe, not the author photo. Um, if you've ever check out his book jackets, it's incredible. Um, it's turtleneck. But, but having that gift, not only to us as fans, but to him as a creator, to have a say, listen, we love this character, and I know you've probably been thinking about the Chiss Ascendancy for decades. So the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy, which we, we all love on the team, is... Thousand, over a thousand pages of new Thrawn content and political hierarchy and the idea that we're getting all these new canon stories which we're going to talk about here in a minute 
in addition to these means that you aren't only stuck in one sort of writing. You're not only stuck in one sort of character thing. If you want to get more Thrawn and you want to know about the Primarchs and about, and about the, uh, the Grisk, in, which I like now, I've come around on them, and then all these things, you can go back to this universe that you thought you left behind in the 90s, and it's so amazing to do that. But in addition to bringing those guys like Luceno, like Zahn back into the fold, as you said earlier, Emma, we have expanded the roster tenfold of people that are able to write Star Wars stories, and most importantly, write their Star Wars stories, right? We have folks that are writing characters that look like them, that look like the people in our world, and act like the people in our world, and Star Wars has become an amazingly wider galaxy now. So Emma, in your eyes, how amazing has it been to see so many different kinds of people writing their stories, and what has that meant for not only the in-universe community, but for our community, a book community, and a Star Wars community, a celebration community, I'll even say as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. It's been really incredible to see the vast amount of diversity that's been brought in. I mean, you have the Queen's Trilogy by E.K. Johnston, all about Padme and her handmaidens. That's been incredible. The Higher Public is by far the most diverse Star Wars there is, period. And um, just as, you know, as a woman, like, reading old Legends books, Sometimes I was like, ooh. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, you could almost imagine like the shirtless beach volleyball scenes in uh, X-Wing, like Top Gun. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. And so, you know, going back and reading those, you know, it was a different time. And so being able to kind of start fresh and, and treat everybody as they should be treated in the books, um, I think has been, you know, incredibly important for a lot of people. Yeah, and it's brought so many more people into a welcoming community. I think yeah, that, you know, our, the Star Wars community, depending on who you talk to, isn't the most loved or most open to some folks, but, but <laughs> no, these kind of no. stories, I think, have really allowed so many of us, and I hope so many of us in this room, to freely say we love these things and say yeah. we love these characters and these books and these writers. That's um, been such a wonderful shift. Um, but, of course, the shift is obviously not only outside, but Inside Universe has been huge. Corey, you, you mentioned earlier that our early canon books, like Tarkin, like Ahsoka, they, they were much more character development, kind of smaller scale, right? We, we hadn't gotten Force Awakens yet for some of these. Uh, we didn't quite know where the Skywalker saga was going to go. Uh, as we can assume, the authors don't always get manuscripts of scripts that are locked down and you can only read at 2 in the morning and are, like, the secrets are insane. So they kind of were a little more reined in. But as the years have gone on, this has kind of changed a bit, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I talked a lot about like how in the early days books were very character centric. And about 2019, we saw things kind of shift a little bit with canon storytelling, where the books suddenly like matter. I guess you could really use that harsh of a word. Like hot take, hot take. The, the in this stakes room. are yeah, the stakes were higher, right? Like they started tying directly into the films. I mean, we just finished up the Queen's trilogy, which if you've not read this trilogy completely changes your view of the Phantom Menace. I mean, it really does add so much value to characters that are in the background and even main characters like Padme. And then we had Resistance Reborn come out, which basically filled in all the gaps between, you know, Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. And uh, it kind of started hitting hard about in 2019. We, we call this phase at Utini modern canon from this time period onward because the stories are not skippable like you can't skip them if you want to really get the most value out of the star wars universe like these books were just heavy hitting right i mean 
they're, they're different. We have a lot of new stories and rich mediums. Like we have the Alphabet Squadron trilogy, which is like the heaviest, most traumatizing. I hope you have a good therapist book if you read this. <laughs> yeah, put up a couple days after that one, guys. Yeah, uh... seriously. And, and, you know, we, the risk, they just took bigger risk. It seemed like the authors took bigger risk. They told heavier stories, harder stories that had more value. We also started to get new mediums during this time period, right? I mean, have you guys listened to the audio dramas? Any audio drama fans in the, in the audience? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, these, these were, you know, such a throwback to the old, uh, what are they, the radio, what are they called? The radio? The, radio, the, the NPR radio dramas. Everybody yeah, yeah. remember those? Yeah. Remember the, yes! Yeah, yeah, such a throwback to those. Oh my and, and we're getting original stories that start in this medium now. And that is so cool and fascinating. And when you have higher public authors, like we went to the higher public panel, yes, or uh, the first day, and... Uh, when they say things like, oh, yeah, there's uh, new mediums coming. Like, I don't even know what that means. Like, that's so cool <laughs> to think about, like, that we can have stories that can jump around in different mediums and really take risk. And we're really in this very interesting time period right now in canon storytelling where the books are just really, really rich. All of them are very rich. They have large galactic consequences. And I think that's what a lot of people really enjoyed about Legends, right, is the the stories moved the Skywalker saga, as we now call it, forward, right? The X-Wing series moves the galaxy forward. There are galactic changes, political changes, right? And I think that was a little bit missing from the early days of canon, just because they hadn't quite figured it out yet, right? Mm -hmm. like, so now, now it seems like the books are, are not as afraid to, to, push the, uh, to push the boundaries with that. And I think we will see... We will see the time periods that a lot of us really want filled in, which is closer to episode seven, what was going on with the First Order. I think we're probably going to see that in the next couple of years of these large, like, large time periods that seem like they were previously off limits because it's Disney and they want to tell a story and you know, now that trilogy is complete, right? I think in the next couple of years we're probably going to see that happen where we start to fill in those gaps. Yeah, it's such an exciting time to see these things have real value and, and really encourage readers to try other mediums. Like you said, audio dramas, um, YA novels are now just as key as adult novels and we're finally getting rid of the mental stigma that YA is also for adults and it's really good. Yeah. Um, and in addition, the comics have become so important with some of these character moments. Like some of the most important moments we'd argue have happened in the comics in the last few years, both in High Republic and elsewhere. So Emma, tell us why, especially readers nowadays, if you're jumping in, you're not going to want to skip on these comics and what are some of the most important moments we've gotten in the last couple of years? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when Corey asked me what the most important comics were to the Star Wars timeline, I was like, Ooh, I don't know how to narrow this down. Because, <laughs> I mean, really, as of late, they have all been extremely important, but I did narrow it down a little bit. <laughs> um, so I'm going to start with The Rise of Kylo Ren. Um, this story is it's a miniseries, and it's all about how uh, Ben Solo became Kylo Ren, which was a huge question that a lot of people had. Uh, after, you know, The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, and we get to see uh, a lot of that. And honestly, it makes you watch The Last Jedi completely different, uh, and especially the scene with, with Luke and Ben, the flashback, uh, because this is actually showing, like, exactly how it happened. You don't get either side. It's exactly what happened. And um, so, yeah, that's the, just the, the sign of impactful media when it makes you watch the films in a different way, and this one certainly does. Uh, and then the next one is War of the Bounty Hunters. This was pretty recent. Um, if you're on social media at all, like following Star Wars, you probably know that uh, Kira actually came back in these comics, which made me like freak out. I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, it, it's it started like the syndicate wars, I guess we could kind of call it. Definitely some like trouble in the underworld and 
personally, I could see this kind of thing coming to live action uh, in some sort of way. So I think that this is going to be highly important. Uh, it's kicked off a trilogy of miniseries. Crimson Rain uh, is still ongoing right now. It's almost done. Uh, and that's by the great Charles Soule. Yes. <laughs> uh, and then the other one is the uh, Darth Vader uh, 2020 series. Uh, and that one has a huge impact on how you view The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, you've got uh, Ochi of Bastoon and um, Exegol. Uh, you get to see Vader kind of exploring uh, what what is this place, Exegol? And, and that's very interesting. Uh, you also get to see Sabe, which is so much fun. Yeah. Um, which is, yes. you know, so, yes. yes. Eric likes that. <laughs> it's so important. It's the best. Uh, Darth Vader 2015, if you like the in Inquisitors, this is the one to read. Uh, you get to see so many Inquisitors. You get to see how Darth Vader trains them, how he interacts with them, what they do. You also get to see Jocasta New again, which is a lot of fun. And turns out she is a badass. <laughs> yeah, she is. <laughs> so those are definitely some of the most hard-hitting ones. Uh, the other great part about Darth Vader 2015 is that's actually where Darth, uh, Dr. Afra was introduced. Yes, Dr. Afra. Really great original yeah. character. Uh, and Black Chrysanthemum, who actually showed up in live action in the book of Boba Fett. Uh, this was absolutely wild. When I saw that, it was like the, uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So it, it, if this is, it tells you anything, it just shows how important comics are because they're bringing in original comics characters into the live action and not the other way around. Yeah. The, the linking and the respect is so beyond evident. And, and of course, nothing has probably shown how easy it is to link mediums together than what is quite easily the biggest thing to happen in Star Wars publishing. It, it, since it is the acquisition, it's the higher public. Um, if any of y'all were lucky enough to go to the panel a couple days ago, uh, we had thousands of people in a room for books. It was, it's, it's it was something... Packed. It was like sold out. It was I mean, sold out. Um, and it has just been this initiative that has fundamentally kind of changed the perception of Star Wars publishing in this new era. Um, new York Times bestsellers, basically all the adult novels that get on there at least once, the YAs are up there, the, com like the, the comics are always on the high, uh, the high seller list of Diamond and things like that. And it's really kind of shaken up the whole community. It's brought in folks that have such a specific love of new characters, new eras, and it's really kind of fundamentally changed everything that we talk about as book fans uh, because it is so ever-present. So, Corey, why, at its core, has the High Republic really just kind of taken everything we do by storm? <laughs> Ride this storm? All right, go ahead. Talk. <laughs> I don't know how to follow that. I'm going to mute my mic. You just go with this. <laughs> uh, listen, I don't, I don't really know. You know, I, I kind of consider myself an expert in the history, I guess, of Star Wars books at this point. I mean, we teach people how to read Star Wars books. It's literally our entire mission at Utini. And, uh, like, the High Republic is one of the most unique things that I've ever seen. And, like, it, it is very reminiscent of those things like Dark Empire back in the day where they did, hey, let's do a, you know, let's do an original audio production and let's do a comic series and all this type of stuff. And, I mean, like, it's, it's kind of like Star Wars books got the Marvel treatment in a lot of ways. I mean, it seems like... And now we know this is what happened. All the authors were very forward about this when, you know, when the stuff started coming out, that we, we got everybody together at Skywalker Ranch before COVID, and we planned this thing, and it's going to be huge. And when they announced this at last celebration in Chicago with nothing except a word, like luminous, was on the screen, <laughs> we're like, oh, hey, cool. I mean, are we supposed to be excited? It's just a word. Like, uh, I don't really get it. Oh, it's probably about Force Ghosts. Maybe like a book. Yeah. It's like a book. It's a book. And then they're like, no, it's five years <laughs> of publishing books. And we're like, oh, my God. And then all of them are 
are phenomenal. Like, I mean, it's just, it really has taken the reading community by storm. All of the High Republic stuff on the Utini site is by far the most visited. Like, our traffic's through the roof about this content. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. Like, the first being, just the content is very, very good and original. If, if anybody in this room has not yet touched the High Republic, you need to. It's very, very good. I mean, we gave Light of the Jedi Book of the Year when it came out. I mean, it was phenomenal. 10 out of 10 experience. And... Um, you know, the, the content is very good. And also something very unique about the High Republic that we've never seen before, which really makes the storytelling initiative very interesting, is it's a fantastic jumping on point. Like, I mean, we're so obsessed with jumping on points at Utini because, like, the more people that we can get into this thing to get the joy that we've all gotten out of this, the better we see it, right? And the High Republic is this beautiful thing. Listen, you don't need to know anything. Just pick up the first book. You don't need to know any other Star Wars books. You don't need to know anything. Hey, Yoda's in it. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, it's just this fantastic jumping on point. It is all very original and just... The quality and interconnectivity of all the different mediums is just one of the most interesting and unique things that I've ever seen. Yeah. And from Jump, this initiative has said all these stories are important. Yes, we have the mainline adult novels, and some folks just read those. Some folks might spend $250 on an exclusive version of those uh, at Celebration this weekend when they already own three of them. No, not at all. But they've also said this story continues in young adult, this story continues in middle grade, and this story really continues in the comics, in the mainline comics, in miniseries, in comics, both at IDW, soon now to be Dark Horse, and Marvel. And if you want to get the full, full experience, you are going to have to read all these mediums, and the authors are changing between them as well, because they're using their skills to write characters in comics just as they do in novels, because it's all as important, they respect it all. So Emma... How crucial do you think it's been for such key characters like Keith Trennis, uh, Avar Chris, like so many of our favorites, to appear in the comics? And really, has that brought the, the medium of comics in the Star Wars community at the same level of respect as the novels? Oh, yeah, I absolutely think that this has helped comics case for uh, being essential. Uh, because, honestly, these higher public comics, like Eric said, are absolutely essential. And when I heard that they were going to be tied in, I kind of had this like gut feeling like, oh, they're just going to be kind of like set in the era, but they're not going to be important to the story. And I, boy, was I wrong. <laughs> I was very wrong. Um, you know, obviously, we see uh, Avar Chris on the cover of the first issue. And I thought, you know, Avar Chris, she's, uh, you know, being promoted as the kind of figurehead of the higher public. There's no way that she's going to be the main character of this comic series. I was wrong on that, too. <laughs> and I'm glad to be wrong, uh, because we got to have her character uh, developed, and we got new characters, too, that ended up uh, being put into the books as well. Keeve, Skier, uh, even in the IDW comics, uh, in Midnight Horizon, there's Lula and Zine and, and Quartz and all those awesome people. Um, so yeah. Geode was in the comics. He was in the comics. That's, how, the that's how we got the first image of Geode. <laughs> right, so, true. you know, pretty important. Um, also, Cantum Psy. Uh, there's also some major plot points in these, especially uh, Trail of Shadows, uh, the miniseries by Daniel Jose Older. So, like, I'm not even joking, uh, probably the most important plot point of the entire first phase uh, was in that comic. So definitely pick that up if you haven't read it yet. It is absolutely essential. 
I think uh, I think a lot of people also underestimated like how value it would be, how valuable it would be to have a visual medium of an entire new era, mm -hmm. because like the High Republic comics literally show you what it looks like, yeah. right? Like yeah. it's very interesting hearing the authors talk about like, oh yeah, that's what this artist thought that my character looked like, right? Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting hearing that come together because we we have all new ship designs and the state of the galaxy is different, and there's just so much difference that's here, and this is epic knights in shining armor type of visual medium of the Jedi. Yeah. and it's really cool to see that come to life and like you said the the story and the plot lines in the comics you can't skip them really if you mm -hmm. want the whole picture so. yeah and especially if you want to learn more about characters like Martian Rowe he got his own uh, two issue little mini series yeah. that gives his entire backstory I mean that is hugely hugely important yeah and, and people are really flocking to this initiative for all the reasons we've said here but also there's something about Star Wars that we love going back even further. It, it harkens back to the time of the Old Republic, uh, one of the most popular eras of Star Wars because of that kind of clean slate thing we're, we've been talking about. And Freddie, as someone who was very into the Old Republic, very into all those Legends comics, and, and, and everyone who's played the game, like they really went hard into this. What is it about a long, 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 long time ago uh, that actually makes Star Wars fans so excited, regardless of canon or Legends? So I think it's like, our normal history, right? When we're kids, we see our first knight or our first samurai. We want to dive in. What is this? It's a whole new world, right? And the Old Republic is a lot like that. We live in this Star Wars universe, whether we like it or not. It's, it's our universe too, right? And so reading about the history, uh, and I'll, I'll take it back to A New Hope when uh, Obi-Wan talks about uh, Luke's father in the Clone Wars, and it's just a passing line. And we're just like, man, what does that mean? Right? And then we get to I think Alec it. Guinness also asked what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get like, to see it. like, I don't it. know, I'll explore it later. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the cool part, right, is, is we get to see something that we've been just thinking about. It's, it was just a word, and I'm sure we can go back in time. You, you see New Hope, he talks about the Clone Wars. You're, you're just, okay, what is that? And, and the same thing with, with uh, you know, the rule of two. Where did that come in? How did that come in? And then we've got Bane, right, Bane's story. And... The cool thing about the Old Republic is we got a video game where, where you got to immerse yourself into the Star Wars universe more than usual. I mean, if you played Star Wars Galaxies, you were immersing yourself in some of that, fans of that, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but but the, the main part of, of the Old Republic were also the new force powers that we saw. We had some battle meditation, which is probably the most overpowered force power ever. Uh, and then the Sith spirit bomb, which just annihilated the entire Sith culture besides Bane and then... Uh, what are we calling her? Darth Hannah by accident? Darth Zana? <laughs> uh, so, so going back and seeing the, the history, right? It's almost like a history book. We get to see it. We get to see what a whole bunch of Sith look like before the Rule of Two was implemented. We get to see uh, how Jedi were, were kind of crossing into that gray area of, you know, battle. And, and, and it was, you know, the weird part of the Sith is they were kind of going towards the middle, too. They were working together, which is anti-Sithy, right? Uh, and uh, just going back and seeing Korriban, right? Or Moriban, depending on where you're at. And what a thousand plus Sith looked like, what that, what that felt like, and, and how, how dangerous that era was. It was a very interesting thing. And of course, seeing like the rule of two in action, how that came about, uh, really gives us some insight. And, and it really fulfills you as a fan, right? Yeah. Absolutely, and, and the High Republic is, is, gonna, is kind of doing the same thing, giving us those hints of where we're going, even in ship design. Like, we're seeing all these beginnings in Bacta, like all these kind of things we know, getting that history oh, no, is... Not is so Bantha? Uh, like, a, like a Bantha, like a Bacta, absolutely. 
Um, now, uh, as we're getting to like our last 10 minutes here, we're going to go into where to start. But obviously, with the High Republic, it's kind of a, its own thing. As Corey said earlier, um, the, the site we run, utini.com, the biggest traffic we've gotten is easily our High Republic pages. And not to shamelessly plug us too much, obviously, but Corey, what are some resources that if anyone is trying to get into this initiative specifically, uh, what kind of stuff have we put together to kind of help folks out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're already sort of seeing a big, like, jump in. We get a lot of questions about how do I read the High Republic, because now that phase one is done, we realize how big the scale is. Like, it's already starting to get a little complicated. I do really appreciate we're going back in time for phase two, because that's going to be another jumping on point, right? But we do have a couple of pretty interesting resources over on the site um, to kind of help people navigate. The High Republic HQ on Eugenia.com is just got all the news and all the, like, this is how you read it. This is an introductory guide, all this type of stuff. Like, you got to check it out. Um, you know, we also have, uh, this is probably the most popular part of the site that we have in regards to the High Republic. We have a reading order on there. Surprisingly, this doesn't really exist anywhere. Um, and this is like the exact order of the books and the comics. And if you want to read it truly in chronological order and you want to read everything all at one time, because now that we're done with, you know, the comic series have come through, we're done with phase one pretty much, you can buy them in trade paperback form. And like, you know, I know a lot of comic readers are really intimidated by trying to get into buying all the individual single issues. So now you can just pick up the trade paperbacks and, you know, this is the book you read, then you read this issue, then you read this book, then you read this issue, and you can kind of follow that along on the site. Um, and then uh, lastly, we also have the timeline on the site, which is one of the more popular pages too, and we kind of highlight where everything falls chronologically too. So you can check all those out over on utini.com, and uh, we're happy to help kind of guide folks through the higher public because like, like I said, the more people we can get in on this crazy Star Wars thing, the more, uh, the more books they're going to write, right? So yeah. like, you know, it's, uh, we want everybody to get the joy out of it that we've gotten, so we try to put together resources to make that better for you. Yeah, as we all know, there's no better feeling than having someone that you love read a Star Wars book and be like, cool, what's the next one? Yeah. Right? So if you can do that, even if the person that you love is yourself, as you should, um, we will try to help you out. But now we are going to kind of round out today by doing exactly that. Not just hire a public, where do I start reading Star Wars books? And, and Corey, this is kind of aligns with our entire mission. Like you said, we don't want anyone to make your same mistake as the, your youth and start at the ninth book in a series. So why has this been our biggest mission? How do we kind of pick these few books before we rattle them off? Yeah, I mean, our primary mission at UTNE is to help guide people through Star Wars books and especially dive in for the first time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's not actually very easy of a decision to pick what books you should read first. You want to pick stuff that's high quality and what really sucks people in. So we really put a lot of thought into what books go first. And I think I want to just dive right into that is uh, we have our essential six, which is we consider this to be, you know, a, any one of these six books and their associated books. You know, of course, we have the Thrawn trilogy on here and we have the Bane trilogy on here. You're skipping ahead in the outline. My guy? Yeah, it's kind of cheating. I'm sorry. Dang. You know, our, our clock is running out. Of I know. Watching, so. But yeah, so we're going to go uh, book by book here, tell you why you should pick these six books if you've never read a Star Wars book first, what they're best for. And Emma, uh, you get the easiest one out of this. Lost Stars by Claudia Gray. Why is it great? Yeah, it's not hard to type this one up. <laughs> um, Claudia Gray is the most prolific author uh, in canon by far. Literally all of her books are incredible. If you want to read something good, just pick something that she's written. Uh, it introduces new characters, but also gives you uh, a good anchor point in the trilogy. Uh, you get new characters in Thane and Sienna, and they're fantastic characters. But you also get to see Leia and Tarkin, so you kind of know where you are in the timeline. And the best part about this book is that you don't need to know anything. Like, you don't, I don't even think you need to watch the movies, if nope. being completely honest. Uh, you can, you know, absolutely just read this, and it, it's a perfect uh, jumping off point, so. Yep. 
perfect book. It's number one of our reading order. It's a YA, and it makes that genre incredible. Freddie, why is the of the Empire still important? Well, first of all, Thrawn. We got that. Uh, that's, a big, that's a big reason. Big um, blue boy, as you said earlier? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Big blue boy, yeah. Uh, Zahn does a lot of world building in his books, and through those world building experiences, a lot of authors jump from there and grab from that, and, and you'll just see uh, Tim's Tim, first name basis. Uh, <laughs> you'll see his ideas throughout the, the, the Legends books, right? And you'll see them throughout all of the, uh, uh, I would say, the golden era as well. And, you know, the prerequisites for, for Heir to the Empire, just the movies. Just watch the movies and assume that this is episode seven and hop into it. You don't have to read any books after that. And if you like it, guess what? There's two more. <laughs> and if you really like it, there's a few more in canon too. So... Uh, a lot of original characters came out of, of that book as well. Mara Jade, for instance. Uh, yep, uh, Talon Card. And of course, we had some Rogue Squadron action in there too. So a lot of important characters who, if you were into Legends, uh, like Mara Jade, you know, that, that was a very important person for a lot of people. And uh, maybe not so much George, but... Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's probably the best. If you want to just go right into Legends continuity, that one's great. Yeah. Lost Drugs get you on canon. Corey, you mentioned this earlier. If you're feeling dark and evil, why are you going to Bane first? <laughs> oh, man. Bane is just evil. <laughs> I mean, it's so good. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think I've ever read a book that makes you re root for a villain more than the Bane series. I mean, this book is still hugely important. I listened to the audiobook again last year. It's the first time I've read it in like 10 years, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it's evil and scary and dark, and you're like, you really want the main bad guy to kill that guy and his whole family? You don't know why. I mean, it's like real dark. <laughs> it's like, man, I shouldn't be, oh, man, I need to go like meditate after this. Uh, it's still hugely important. Check out Bane for sure. Yeah, and also a beginning of a trilogy, uh, whereas our next one, Kenobi, as we said by John Jackson Miller, uh, starring Obi-Wan, is a great example of just a standalone Star Wars novel. Sometimes you just want to read a book about a character, and you want to go on, that's fine. Kenobi is a wonderfully intimate story about Obi-Wan uh, between episodes three and four. It really is the Western. It is the, he rolls up into a town, there's a problem, he, he has to hide, uh, and then the story goes from there. It's a really wonderful tale about meditation. Obi-Wan's journey, we're going to see a lot of that in the series. Not sure how much of that's going to be brought in, if anything, but if you want a meditative book about one of the best Jedi out there that is just a one and done, Kenobi's the way to go. And then... Let's talk about Revenge of the Sith. Let's talk about Revenge of the Sith. Um, here's a, uh, maybe a surprising opinion if you're not super into the Star Wars books. The Revenge of the Sith novelization might be the best Star Wars book that's ever been written, um, which seems crazy to think about. I think a lot of people are surprised by that because they're like, oh, I've seen the movie. I mean, how different can the book be? I think the book like perfectly capitalizes on the richness that may have been a little bit missing from the vast amount of content that had to come out of Ringe of the Sith. I mean, the prose is new. There's additional scenes. We get to see you know, Obi-Wan sort of tell Padme that maybe he knew all along. And, you know, those types of, of, of writing scenes adds a richness to something that we already have such a beautiful visual medium for that make it, seriously, I, I think it's the best Star Wars book ever written. And that seems crazy to think about, that it's a uh, movie novelization that does that, but if you haven't read Revenge of the Sith, it's not only an excellent place to start, it's seriously an excellent book to read just straight up. Yeah, incredible prose. And George Lucas, that was, that was one of the final ones he read, and he signed off on some of the changes. He edited so, it, actually. Had, oh, yeah. He was involved in the writing of that book. It's the only book he ever did that for. It's incredible. And then, of course, the last one, as you see, uh, Light of the Jedi. If you are reading Star Wars books in 2022, the High Republic is happening, and it is incredible, and Light of the Jedi starts it off perfectly. Like Corey said, it was our book of the year when it came out. 
It has one of the best villain introductions uh, in, in all of Star Wars. It introduces you to the new heroes. It sets up the new worlds, the new political structures, anything you could want. And it makes you fall in love with new Star Wars, which is something that is just never, it never gets old. It's a new trilogy, it's new characters in love, a new era, it's new characters in love. And Light of the Jedi really just sets up the next five years of your life of incredible stories. And if you pick one, if you pick two, if you pick all six of these books, we really hope that either you or your loved ones will just absolutely fall in love with reading as we have. And like Corey said, as we wrap up here, doing this is the greatest honor of our lives. We love being here with all of you. We, we talk every day about Star Wars books, and we have for years in these darker times of these years. It has been the light that we need. And I know for all of you, diving into a Star Wars book for 20 minutes, an hour, however long it may be, might just make your day a little better. So we hope that all of this helps. We hope maybe you found some new titles. We are down on the fan stage at booth, tw or fan floor 2686. Come by, say hi. It's next to Lego. Yeah, it's next to Lego. There you go. Um, and then if you want some of these books, go to Del Rey and, and pick some up, pick some gifts. Other than that, I mean, my goodness, we're at Star Wars Celebration. Have a great time. May the force be with you and for light and life.